What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is working on a diverse array of residential and commercial projects, including high-profile hotels, restaurants, and retail. He's telling a story through the spaces he creates and reimagining the visual landscape through stylish, spirited, and sophisticated designs. He recently founded Archive by Dan Mazzarini, which we'll talk about later, and I also gave away the surprise. He is the owner and creative director at BHDM Design, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Mazzarini. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Couple of Dan's today. A couple of Dan's. And for those of you who don't know, um, I first met Dan, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. It was like, yeah, at least seven or eight years ago. At 1201 Broadway, I had an office down this little hallway. And the door right next to me was BHDM's, was, I assume that was your first office, right? Yeah, pretty much our, our first world headquarters. So, yeah. Wow. And we treated that floor pretty much like a dorm, didn't we? I mean, we definitely did. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of uh, shared fun, shared drama, um, but really good shared times. Shared cocktails eventually. Sh I mean, really. Yeah, shared yeah. cocktails. Um, <laughs> but I also remember like that whole building and that it's crazy to think now that that building, 1201 Broadway, is sandwiched between the Virgin to the north and the Ritz Carlton yeah. to the south. And yeah. I remember when I first moved in there, I signed the lease. Um, they took my deposit and I went upstairs. I had this clear view west across Manhattan to the Aventi Hotel. Yeah. And down below there was a parking lot. And then as soon as like the day after I moved in, the parking lot was torn up. I'm like, what are they doing? And they built yeah. a freaking building right in my really the only window. <laughs> yeah. We did the same, except that we rented what was, I'm sure, just storage space in the building. Uh, and, you know, like, I love to do a project for with a roll of duct tape. And we were like, we can polish this up. And we, like you, looked at the parking garage until they tore it down and excavated for the Ritz, at which point I was like, I think we're out because we'll never see the sun again. So great looking hotel, better door than a window, right? Oh, oh my God. Y yes. And do you remember how jarring it was when we yeah. were getting it from the west and the south sides of those pile drivers for all the site yep. and foundation work? It was like, I remember my yep. teeth were shaking for days. This is really, I feel like... Um, I'm, I'm, bring, I'm going moment, back into like some PTSD right now. A little PTSD, but those were also like pre-COVID times. So we would take that over two years of just sitting at a, a computer. But, you know, great, great experience, I think, to feel what our clients feel and what people around our developments feel sometimes, right? So, hey, it's like a lesson learned. And so now I feel like we have this appreciation for that part too. Yes, right? I, 100%. And so speaking of, of appreciation... You, like so many of my guests, I'm just so grateful that I'm able to steal some of your time here and share your story with everyone. And before we get into it, um, you know, the first question I always ask everyone is, what does hospitality mean to you or how do you define hospitality, Dan? Yeah, it's a great question. I knew you were going to ask this question. Uh, you know, I think my definition is pretty simple. I think it's really about two small things. One is anticipating needs, right? And the second is exceeding expectations. And I think it's kind of as simple as that. You know, we can get into 
you know, how you feel when you walk in and all the touch points that go into hospitality. But really, we are here as designers and developers and everyone to anticipate the needs of guests, sometimes even the needs they don't even know that they need, and then to exceed their expectations with the product. I mean, I think without that, like, you know, what, what else are we doing here, right? 100%. And, and again, that what I've found is that there's not a black and white binary definition, right? It's, it's nebulous, but a lot of it is, it's putting others first, right? So you're, you're, you, you are a hundred percent correct in your definition. Um, and the more I learn about it, like, I don't even, I'm beginning to not even know what the definition is anymore. Um, but it's cool. It lives in this Venn diagram of all these overlapping ideas. And then you know it, it when you feel it. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, the, the longer I'm in the design field, the more it very clearly is a service field, right? Like to our clients, to our vendors, to our teams and our staff. Um, and I think in this instance in hospitality, it's always about the end user too, right? So I feel like this notion of trying to, yes, I love to tell a story and I love a narrative. And I think that always defines the big picture to the smallest detail. But if we're not thinking about user experience and how we, what people are really going to be doing there, where they're coming from, how tired they are, how excited they are, how do we anticipate those things? And then how do we design an answer that exceeds what people are hoping something would be? So, I, I completely agree. And I, I want to like so if we were to just kind of sit with that idea of anticipation and thinking about your journey, uh, BHDM has been open and doing business for 10 years, plus or minus. When, it, when is your birthday? 10 years. It was this past August, officially. So we're oh. just over 10 years old. Yeah. Wow. So congratulations. That's quite a milestone. And for those of you who don't know, most businesses tend to fail in their first year or two. So a hooray to taking that entrepreneurial step and being on this decade-long journey. Um, yeah. What I'm intrigued about is you used to work in retail designing stores, correct, yeah. for, for Ralph Lauren? Yeah. For a number of people. I mean, when I – so I graduated – from Miami University in 2003 in Oxford, Ohio. And I would say Midwestern at heart, kind of grew up in Pittsburgh, went to school in Ohio, but New York was calling. And so all my friends went to Chicago. I ended up taking a, a right turn to New York. Um, but it was a time when people weren't hiring. Like it just, the economy was not great. We were around, rebounding from 2001. Um, and I did a number of informational interviews, um, th like over a cocktail a different day. So many funny stories with people in the business. They're like, I didn't meet you. And I'm like, we did meet 100 years ago. Uh, but I had one job offer. And it was from this company called Kramer Design Group. Um, Robin Kramer and Philip Rosenzweig at the time headed up the business. And I met with them. They asked to keep my portfolio. And I was like, no, I have, I have other interviews. You can't keep it. Uh, but I came back later in the afternoon and they sat me down in their conference room and said, we don't have a job, but we like your work. And we think that, you know, we'd like to make a space for you here. And so I took the one job offer I had at a branding and retail design company. Um, and I think like a lot of first jobs for people, I started in not really having a project to work on. So I did a little bit of everything and like kind of a lot of nothing, um, but was always busy there. Um, and within the first six months, like 
I would be the first in, I would be the last out, I would do whatever they needed me to do and try to exceed expectations. Um, and within six months, my boss came to me and said, we have a client coming in who has investors and we're gonna help them kind of launch the brand. His name is Michael Kors. And so at 23, I ended up designing the launch of the Michael Kors brand. And it was a real baptism by fire wow. because we went from two stores to 1,500 stores in about 18 months. And that was back in like the heyday of wholesale. So we were working with Macy's and Bloomingdale's and everybody. But it was I, – I remember, Dan, like I was, I was sketching. I'm a hand drawer. I'm like all these beautiful programs. I'm like I'm – I'm a cusper. I kind of work analog. And so I'd be sketching and they would just take the drawings from under my hand, scan them and send them to the mill worker. And the next day I'd get back shop drawings. It was this total roller coaster, but um, a really fun baptism by fire. And that's sort of how I got to New York, how I got a first job and then like how it kind of all started. So that was back in the day. Wow. And, and every vendor you've worked with since then turns their shop drawings around in one day. <laughs> it was a different moment in time, I think. But, uh, uh, you know, we, it, it definitely taught me, like, the whole circle of life for all these projects. Anything more than that, the fact of, like, how many sets of hands go into making a project successful. Like, there's no way at 23 I would have known anything about anything. But I could draw it and I could think about it. And so um, – yeah, there, there's some vendors. I mean, I got, I got a specialist I go to for the one-day turnaround, but yeah, pretty miraculous, right? Oh, wow. That's unreal. And to just also think about the scale, going from two stores to 1,500, over how long? Two it years? It was honestly, the launch was about six months, um, like from design to the beginning of the launch. And then it was like 1,500 stores in about 18 months. And this would be like anything from a flagship at Herald Square to, you know, a 200-square-foot accessory shop in Pataskala, Ohio. But we did it all, so it was it was kind of nutty. I mean, really, that, really fun. that is just unbelievable speed and scale to market. I, uh, that's unreal. And most of them were the – how many were, of those 1,500 were standalone stores and how many were um, – Kind yeah. of pods within a department, a larger department store. Almost all of them were drop shops or flagship stores or department stores. But that was that was how those businesses were launching then. You know, and I think um, as far as like you know, working in retail then, and then from Michael worked with a bunch of different brands. Launched a line for Jennifer Lopez. Launched Waterworks Studio and like helped them think through that back in the day. Worked with Movado watches and Shiseido Cosmetics and all these different kind of scales and parts of the business. But they were all about speed to market and about storytelling, right? Like mm -hmm. there was a brand DNA for each of those products and a certain way that you sold it and a certain way that you had to think about how things were merchandised. And so while that wasn't hospitality, it was an incredible foundation for storytelling, for detailing, for like thinking about things quickly and in section um, and figuring out how things are made. So um, yeah, it was it was kind of a nutty thing. Lots of lots of shop and shops, as we say. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'll push back on you there because on the speed to market and the storytelling, even though that, that totally resonates with me as far as the hospitality world as well. Yeah. Maybe it's not going from two to 1500 um, in 18 months, but the faster that we can open our hotels, the faster the rents bump and the faster the returns are to shareholders. 
and yeah. and satisfied guests as well. Yeah. So, and I guess that's that transition or speed bump or scene change from retail to starting your own company and going into hospitality, restaurants, hotels, bars, um, and all things in between. Like, at what? How did you take that first step? Because I know a lot. Yeah. I, I get a lot of feedback on the show, and a lot of them were like, "Oh my gosh, thank you for sharing that story." Because I've been thinking about taking that entrepreneurial step. How? Like, what? What was your mindset yeah. as you did that? Yeah. So there was a step between Kramer and BHDM, and that was um, a six-year stint at Ralph Lauren. Um, and I was in store design there, sort of at a, an apex of Ralph Lauren history. It was the 40th anniversary. They were buying back all their licensed businesses. And so I ended up spending three years back and forth to Asia with the licensees I knew from Michael, and then three years in Europe kind of doing the stores there. And it was a, it was a total, almost like 180 to the experience with like the prior brands, which was like design everything. And Ralph, such a big machine, it was like design your piece, which was decorative. So it was artwork, and it was all the knickknacks and all the accessories and mannequins. And if you, I would say if you shook a store, whatever would fall out, that was the stuff I bought, right? Um, and why that important? Why that transition was important? I think was it really? I, yes, I could tell a story. Yes, I could think quickly, but it was about a refinement of of the craft, of decorative, of um, how every part and piece is as important as the big picture plan. Um, and so, uh, your question about like what was the transition from one to the other? Um, Ralph Lauren, even with all the travel I did, even with all the work I did, the team I ran, I, um, I'm going to say the thing people don't want to hear. I, did, I moonlit. I did freelance work. I started answering Craigslist ads, which is not a dirty thing. It sounds dirty now, but uh, there were people like at the time. Remember, um, remember Trading Spaces yes. back in the day? I mean, it's like the precursor to all HGTV, I think. I was answering ads to help people with their apartments on the weekends in the Bronx or like in Brooklyn or wherever. So I was working around the clock and in so doing, like had a reputation in retail for sure, but also was like garnering these clients. And um, while at Ralph, somebody knew I was there and asked me to help with the restaurant. And so I did that. That project was called The Lion um, on 9th Street. And then I was actually on the beach one summer and talking to this guy, and um, he was like, what are you doing at design? And he's like, what are you working on? And I said, I work here, but I did this restaurant. And he was like, oh, my God, I know that restaurant. I love it. I have a hotel in Miami. You have to do it. Well, you heard this kind of, like, magical story before, and I was like, that sounds great. Here's my number. <laughs> Give me a call. And he did. And within a week, I was on a flight to Miami, and I booked our first hotel, and so suddenly I'm working a full-time job and I've got this like kind of full-time roster of freelance clients. And I was always nervous. This is a long story, but I'm going to give you the punchline. <laughs> I was always nervous because I like certainty. I like, I think, as a business person to control situations, as much control as I can have, that's the amount of security that I feel. And so Brian, who was my client at the time, asked me the same question. He's like, when are you going to start the business? I was like, I'm afraid. And he gave me great advice. He said, you know what? You can be afraid, but what's the worst that happens? You don't get any clients and you don't make any money. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty fucking bad, Brian. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know what you'll do? You'll get another job. And it was kind of this light bulb moment where I was like, things are transferable. If you're a hus hustler, like you're going to get a job done. And so I took the leap 
I gave a long bandwidth exit for Ralph Lauren, and I picked up all these things. And what was incredible, Dan, was once I told people I was leaving and I told these other people I was full-time, both sides were like, that's that's great because we have more work for you here, and like that makes more bandwidth for other people at Ralph Lauren too. So um, it was a kind of cuckoo thing, but I, I needed the nudge from a client to tell me and give me the confidence it was time to do it. What was the first so. hotel? It was called Lord's South Beach, and it was a little deco project. I think it was like 120 rooms on Collins and 11th, um, and it was owned by one guy, and my client came in and was like, we're going to zhuzh it and for like Art Basel and do a thing. It was actually to be um, a gay-branded hotel. Oh. Uh, called Lord's or was it? Lord's. Was, oh, so. Isn't that ironic? I mean, really. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was fun. It was like this total budget project. Like I remember uh, – like I'll show you pictures of it. But I remember designing this and our our narrative was poolside chic, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. And we did all this fun stuff and we did carpets and we did paint. And I put like stickers above the bed because we couldn't afford framed art. And at the end of wow. it, I was like the young entrepreneur. I remember we ended up painting, repainting furniture on one of their like little cabanas. And so there was paint all over the floor. And one day I was like scrubbing the floor with turpentine because that was my that was my job. That was my job, right? Yeah. Um, I almost passed out. And that's when I like walked out. I was like, okay, I think there's limits to what we need to do to be scrappy here. Totally. But, um, it was a great project and it was super fun. And it was our first hotel and gratefully hospitality design gave us the nod for um, mid-scale hotel of the year that year. And I was like, okay, we don't know anything. I'm not a trained hotel designer, which I think is a fun thing for people to hear sometimes. But I think what that project taught me is if if you think about the user, if you try to anticipate what they're looking for, and then if you exceed their expectations, the outcome has to be good, right? Like, and so it kind of told me, like, learn what you got to learn. Um, apply your knowledge to the rest of, from what you've known from your career to date. And that was really how we started to take on hospitality work. And then, you know, get a little high huffing turpentine along the way. Oh, my God. I tell that story <laughs> and people are like, that doesn't sound safe. I was like, it really does not sound Oh, safe. man, that's, that's <laughs> tough. But, you know, we all – and that's, you know, on that entrepreneurial journey, you just do whatever it takes to – to yeah. get there or die trying. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to. This story had a happier ending. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. I'm I'm very happy for you and and for your success <laughs> and and journey. Um, I really liked how you lit up when you were talking about your time at Ralph Lauren with respect to the refinement of going from really design like super fast paced, super scale like design build. You're just in it up to your eyebrows and then it switched yeah. to more of this decoration and refinement and how, like unpack that refinement word for us as far as yeah. what it means. I think, I think when I was saying refinement, it really means two things. For me, it was about a honing of um, a honing of taste, a honing of um, the fact that it's okay to be picky, right? Like certainly I had great, uh, mentors and the first company that I worked for, but it was small and it was busy. Like busy is like an understatement. It was kind of insane. It was breakneck. So as much as you could do, as fast as you could do, and as much as you could learn was the pace. At Ralph, 
we did a tremendous volume of work and I had a tremendous purchasing power. I mean, friends that I know now in the industry are like, I remember when. And I was like, yep, that's why we remember each other. Um, but the refinement piece was two things. It was a refinement of taste, but it was also this like refinement in the approach to the work, meaning like don't be afraid to ask for the better thing. Don't be afraid to like underscore the importance and value of something that is authentic. Um, as an example, we would shop for antique tables. Like, it sounds cuckoo to like put them in a department store and then five years later they either get reused or pulled back or even thrown away. It's kind of crazy. But there was an authenticity to so much of what was done there. And so, um, you know, I think some people, when they look at our work, they appreciate that there's like a residential sensibility. And I have to credit Ralph for a lot of that because there was there was authentic things in those stores, even department stores across the world. And I think the refinement was not just in the things we bought, but in teaching people that taste and what to ask for there. So well, and it's fun. not it's not also the actual like the actual buying of those things. But I, like when I think of a lot of those stores or installations, there's so many found objects, and found objects are so difficult to get to work with one, within whatever you're trying to convey. Yeah. Um, and the hunt for those things must be amazing. Like, would you go up to Brimfield and with truckloads of with empty trucks yeah. and just be the first in line, and everyone would, would be salivating as you're walking towards them? <laughs> you know, I yes, in a word, yes. Um, better still, I got to go to the Paris flea markets. Oh yeah, ooh we la la, there. ooh la la, Dan. Right, um, and that was fun because as a kid, like I started working there when I was, when I was 26, and I would organize, you know. $400,000 budget of stuff that we got to shop for. And nobody knew how I was the first trip, but we would do a loop and, by the, and I would kind of eye everything. And by the second loop, I was going in and being like, we'll take those six tables and those hundred lights and do you have more of these? And, the, and all of a sudden, people were like, kind of everybody calls around and be like, Ralph Lauren is coming. Um, it was great. It was great because it was fun, but it was also this exposure to things that I would not have seen otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so... Now my perspective when we talk about projects isn't just Oxford, Ohio or Pittsburgh or New York. It's gratefully much more worldly because of firsthand experience. Um, yeah, just incredible. So I think about going to the Paris flea market or to Brimfield or my wife loves hunting for things, right? It's her, that's her jam. And yeah. I really don't like it. I just find it overwhelming. I don't know where to start. <laughs> You can tell you her know, to call me. When, I'm happy to go. Well, as I'm talking to you, I'm like, I think <laughs> I may have found her her soulmate uh, in in you. In that, <laughs> the strategy that you must have to go through, like when I see all that, I just see a whole bunch of noise. Like I, I don't know what to do. It like it really, really, really freaks me out. How do you? What were your strategies to get everything organized and like kind of shut down that noise and really yeah. stay on a mission? Um. It always was a mission. That's a great word for it. But, you know, we would we would print our floor plans. We would highlight stuff. I would have things dimensioned. And then I'd have a list, right? And sometimes we would be shopping for – this was a moment when Ralph had – I think there were 16 distinct brands. Mm -hmm. So it was like kids and then Layette and then like men's purple, blue, black, blah, blah, blah. Like it, it's a different thing now. But it was – and everything had a different look. And so I would categorize it all and be like, we're looking for purple label this and blue label this, and this shop is modern, and this shop is country. And 
One of my super talents is I have like a crazy visual memory. If I see it, I remember it, right? So once I did all this stuff, I was like, oh, we need 13 tables and I need six of them to be wood. And like it just, this is, oh, this is why I'm good to shop with. I just kind of remember. So yeah. now, um, I forget what the show was, Dan. It, I want to say it was like Wheel of Fortune, like back in the day where like your head would be in the corner and you'd go around the prize room and like pick the stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. You can imagine it, right? I can imagine. I'm imagining it, yeah. Right. Callers, please let us know what that show is. Yes. That would be great. Um, Anyway, like, that's kind of how I always look at these booths and things. I'm, like, kind of going around. I'm, like, those are the lights. Like, that's the thing. I need that stuffed alligator or whatever. It is. I don't know. But, like, um, yeah. it's I'm always on the hunt, it feels like. And, okay, so when you're buying $400,000 of stuff at, let's say, the Paris flea markets or Brimfield, yeah. you purchase all the things you need that fit that floor plan. What's your success rate on all that stuff landing where it's supposed to? Because... Yeah. I, I mean, the bigger problem is, did I negotiate the right amount because my French is kind of iffy, you know? Mm. So, uh, but <laughs> um, th this is the other part of our business that I think is really interesting is the logistics, right? Like you make a bunch of stuff overseas and locally. We make a bunch of stuff overseas and locally. So the logistics of getting things anywhere in one piece, I always think it's a miracle. I mean, really, truly. It, like, If you think about how many people are involved in making the most simple widget yeah. from yeah. concept to planning to fabrication, packing, shipping, driving, unloading, placing. It's like, it's unreal. Yeah. yeah. And and to clients sometimes, especially in moments of stress where they're like, where is it? I'm like, it takes a hundred set of hands to make that sofa, mm -hmm. right? Between the weaver and who's dyeing the yarns and who's making the inside and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just incredible to me. So your question about how does it get from A to B and the success rate? I mean, tremendous success. But I think our industry is really good at that, right? And it, just because, and I think this goes back to like one thing influences another. Yes, I come from retail, specifically like scaled high-end retail. Our business and hospitality is about creating something and oftentimes multiplying it out, right? Mm -hmm. 700 room hotel or like a three or four building property or whatever but it that, is. That's my point there in the sense that yeah. when you're doing that at that scale, 99.99% out of 100 times, usually it's everything new, right? You're making everything mm -hmm. new. Um, yeah. And then what you're talking about, and I think that's the real ref the refinement is like I don't like I've seen people try and do these found objects, yeah. And it more often than not, I've seen people do it really, really well. But more often than not, it just kind of falls flat. It's like, oh, we're just grabbing this thing and putting it here. It's kind of out of context. Mm -hmm. But when you, I would go into those Ralph Lauren stores, you just everything looks like it's meant to be there. Yeah. Well, it's a it's certainly selected specifically for what's happening there, mm. and um, you know. It's one of the things that we try to pull forward into our projects at BHDM, which is you can call it refinement, but I think it's um, it's this sense of found. I always tell my team I like a little crusty dusty, which is true. Like I like things that have a sense of history to them, and it's always it's not always better. I think it's always sensed when it's authentic, right? So it can be vintage killing pillows. It can be a great table or a glazed, you know, lamp, any of those things. But it just tends to make things feel. And this is why I think more and more art 
and using artisans and projects, even if you're making multiples of something, really resonates. I know it resonates in our projects, but I think that's really important. I totally agree. Um, so the superpower that you have, right? When did you know you had it? When did it become apparent to you? Um, I just, you know, I'm, I have a twin sister. And so growing up, you know, we always took the same classes and great, thank God, she would study with me because I think I still have those high school nightmares where you're like, you're not ready for the test. But she made sure I was ready. We just had very different ways of learning. She is a very book smart person. What's her name? And I kind of, Marianne. Marianne. Okay. Thank Marianne you, Marianne. McCarthy now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Marianne. Um, she's a very book smart person. And I just, could, if I could see it or I could get a mnemonic or something, no sweat. So I would sing it. I would draw it. I would do whatever. Um, and I think there's just something about being a visual learner that, and I, I tell my team still, like, a visual vocabulary is something that I want everyone on our team to build because for me... It can be about a floor plan. It can be about a detail. It could be about, you know, something that I see somewhere or even something in a movie. And, like, I, I don't know. I think it was from school onward, Dan. Like, it just was how I learned. And so that just became ingrained. And you stayed. So you, you basically always put yourself in a, in a place where you could – where your visual sensibilities could be at their highest and best use. Yeah. Um, yeah. And – and is Marianne, is she, is she a visual learner or no? Is she like? I will say I think she has a beautiful eye. Um, in fact, two of them. Um, <laughs> I think uh, much like sort of boy-girl twins, like I went to design school and she went to school for American history and political science. Mm -hmm. So she's a military lawyer and I'll play the role of interior designer. No so. way she is. Okay. So yeah. she is of the word. Yeah. Bird is the word. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so and then as you were as you were a kid and growing up before you decided you wanted to go to, off to Ohio to go to design school, um, did you have other learning challenges? Because the reason why I'm asking here is a lot of the people that I've spoken to who have become designers, architects, you know, many were dyslexic, many, many just they mm -hmm. didn't learn. They had um, what is that like neurodivergence, right? They were just yeah. different. But then yeah. they were able to find this zone of genius for themselves and then kind of excel where other people like me walking into a flea market, I, I think I just get itchy and I don't want to do it. Well, that's OK with me, Dan. That's that's job security in my world. Yes. So you, know. Um, you know, I I didn't have a problem learning. I just had different interests. Mm. Right. Like I wanted to be um, I wanted to be artistic. I loved to sing. I was on all the shows. Tell me when you're shocked. Like, you know, and but but ours was a really academic upbringing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I was driven toward a four year liberal arts school. Um, but senior year, I just was like, I want to do something creative. Um, the story was this is this is a story and it's like kind of all over the place. But I was interning for my uncle who was a primary care physician um, and the summer before I went, like, junior year. And toward the end of the summer, he asked me, he said, so what do you think? Do you want to be a doctor? And I was like, I could be a doctor. He said, do you want to be? And I said, I don't know. And he said, let me give you advice. This is advice number two. Mm. He said, do something that you love well enough that you would do it for free. 
and then do it well enough so that people pay you. Mm. This was like my actual first light bulb moment where I was like, oh, I don't want to be a fucking doctor. Like, yeah. And I went home and I told my parents, I was like, I'm going to go to design school. And they were like, what did you do to our doctor? I think was their reaction. But um, <laughs> but the, the great thing about that was like it really kind of was that moment. Yes, I learned. Yeah, I just wasn't really interested. Mm. And design was something I was interested in from the get-go. Mm. I loved movies. I loved sets. I loved building things. I like was the kid with the refrigerator box cutting shutters in, you know, that, and mm-hmm. like then drawing the wallpaper on the inside. Um, and so I started in design school because it was like the right thing and it's just been the right fit. And how old were you when your uncle gave you that sage advice? Like 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so then you totally changed your whole direction or that was a light well, bulb that helped put you onto that path. Yeah. I mean, liberal arts was still the direction. I wanted to go to Parsons. Mm-hmm. My parents were like, not the big city. And so I ended up going to school in Ohio. Where did you grow university. up? Pittsburgh. Okay. That's yeah. like, it's kind of a big city-ish. Yeah. I mean, New York's a little bigger. Yeah, a little bit. So, Just a uh, But I went to school for interior design mm. at a four-year liberal arts school. And mm. again, like, the universe has been really, really good to me. Like, I didn't know that this was the marriage of things that I needed. But to go to an actual interiors program where there was studio every year for four years – Moment in time, incredible professors, the best friends I've ever met. Um, But I came out of it with not just design, but at least exposure to business and marketing. And like that's a huge business school there. Um, And so I think to be around that um, has certainly influenced not just my interest in the, the business side of our business, but how I think about how I talk about our work when I have to go sell it. Okay, so on the selling side and thinking about putting it out there, it's making me want to go back to your favorite shows you were in in high school. Like, what was your which performance and which part were you most proud of? Um, so favorite show was Joseph, right? Oh, I think it should be almost every parent's favorite show too because I think they can squeeze it into one act and you don't have to wait through intermission. (laughs) Um, But so fun. So, so fun. It was like, and it was a year that I also got to help with the sets. So go figure. I liked both. Um, My starring role was I played Ruben, the French brother. See, it all comes back to the Paris flea market. Who knew, right? Um, It was just really fun. Like that was a great, a great way. I think that was our senior year. So a great way to go out. Really fun. Um, Awesome. Uh, so th- in talking to you, I'm also very struck, like you're on this entrepreneurial journey. It's been 10 years. Um, you've had success. You've built a great team. Um, one of the things that I keep hearing you say is this idea of growth, right? Not um, not necessarily from a mo- like a, a bank account growth, actually not even necessarily at all, not at all. I, I ho- you could put that in the universe too, Dan. Well, it's, it's in the universe, yeah, but-, but when I talk to you, it's more about um, growth of mindset, growth of experience. You must have said that word twenty times in our in our in a recent conversation, and so walk us through your vision of growth and what it means to you and your yeah. team. Yeah. Dan, you're a great interviewer. You're very insightful here. And I feel like, you know, 
growth for me as we've been talking today and kind of for me to reflect back a little bit. Um, you know, I don't take lightly kind of the the it's with a lot of gratitude that I sit here today where I am for the people who have helped me get here, for my incredible team and for um, the clients that we've had. Um, I also, I think when I look back, you know, I haven't always felt confident. And so for me, we actually talked as a senior team this year about a theme, and that is it happens to be growth. Um, and why that's important for me is, you know, we want to always think better. Bigger isn't better, but we, we want to sort of expand how we think about our work as a team. And for us, growth this year is about helping ourselves and each other improve. It's it's sort of thinking about the work that we've accomplished to date and how we might sort of um, level up to like the next kind of project that we would love to do. Um, but it's really about helping our team to grow and mature and advance their sort of own creativity um, it's about evolving our business, um, not just the kinds of projects we do, but actually in some of our new launches for new businesses too, um, and going after work that we haven't done before. But I think, again, to go back to things we talked about earlier, I never did a restaurant before I did a restaurant, and that was well-received. And that led to a hotel, which I'd never done, and then gratefully won an award for. And so, you know, if I if I can take my own advice and sort of become my own um, self-promoter or encourager here. Um, the year of growth is really to be less afraid of the things we don't know how to do and set out to do new things. Mm. So a as I'm hearing you say that, I'm also reminded, at, you know, in speaking to you, there's this um, really great self-awareness and um, strategic vision, right? that I pick up from you, which many, many people do not have, and many, many business owners do not have. And you were moonlighting and kind of doing things on the side and then took the big leap. Have you always been like that and had that kind of perspective? Or or do you have like a coach that helps you kind of get focused on that? Because a lot of people don't take the time to clarify their vision and like their direction. How... how Explain to me this awareness that I'm picking up from All right. You. Well, I'll try. And um, number one, we'll thank my therapist for having that kind of clarity, right? <laughs> Shout out to Brian. Um, you know, I think I haven't always had clarity. And in fact, I think my career has been an undulating one, right? From from retail to kind of all sorts of things. And now we really kind of do all kinds of work. Um, one, one of the things I have always had awareness of is starting from yes, right? Starting from yes, like it can be a yes and. Not, I'm not I'm not a comedian. We can but, improv, um, start, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but it is. Like improv is a great sort of simile here where um, my career has taken me in directions that I didn't think it would go, but I've always looked for the opportunity in them. Um, and so it is now with hindsight that I can look forward and say, what are the things we want to do? And I, I guess it's not always been that way, Dan, right? Like I, I've never I've not always been super directed toward one thing, but now I've done a lot. And so it's it is with clarity that we're looking forward and saying, like, what are the kinds of projects we want to do? What's the kind of company we would want to start or what's the kind of products we would want to design? Um, and that's fun. And it's taken a while to get there, but it, it's a fun place to be. Well, 
So the other thing is this idea of growth. Okay, so I'm talking about your self-awareness and strategic vision. But if I remember earlier in our conversation, it also, you, you were able to assemble your team and kind of spit, I got the feeling you were spitballing these ideas and then you all came up with it collectively or they did and, and you just, it all gelled around um, this plan forward. Yeah. Did Brian um, help you with that too? <laughs> Brian is Brian is so many things. Uh, you know, one of the things that one of the things that's always served me in owning the business is I want to take on work that is exciting for me. And so, you know, while I come from a world of retail rollouts, it was not the same every day, right? Lots of different kinds of companies, lots of different kinds of aesthetics, lots of different stories to tell. And so for us, rather than um, rather than do just one kind of work, and I don't think it's ever just a hotel or just a restaurant, we do a lot of different kinds of things. I always say our all of our projects are hospitality forward and how we approach them. It can be an office, it can be a startup, it can be healthcare, and we do all of those things. Um, but this, what started in service to me, just because I wanted to stay interested, turns out is a real common denominator for lots of creatives. We want to do things that are different. We want to continue to learn and be challenged. And while it's great to hone skills within a certain kind of work, um, now I go after diverse work because I care about our team and I want to make sure that they have they are interested mm -hmm. in the work that we're doing too. Um, so uh, to answer your question, yes. There has been strategic conversation with our senior team about where we want to go forward. Um, but we love all opportunities that sort of jive with us being able to help a client kind of answer uh, the question, looking for like a new creative vision on something. Awesome. So if you could think of, if you look back over your portfolio or catalog of past work, is there a project out there that you know, I've heard you say this idea of anticipation, experience, growth, exceeding expectations, um, huffing turpentine, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but this idea of refinement, um, if you were to think about all those different elements where like you would light up when you're talking about it, is there a project that recent or in the past or even one coming up in the future mm -hmm. that you think exemplifies that and that you could just take us on a little visual journey through. Yeah. Um, gratefully, there's a bunch of those projects. The one I'll pick is a project that is still to be built. Um, it needs to find a home now because it was just before COVID, but I think a great representation of how we think, how we sort of help think about what expectations may be, and then how we exceed them. Um, the project's called the Brian Paul Hotel. It was meant to be in Nashville, um, which is Music City, and so everything's got a little rock and roll sex appeal to it. But um, this was in, within uh, collaboration with Wade Weissman, who's an architect out of Milwaukee, um, beautiful classical architect. And so he designed the shell of this building and the rough footprint. And it just was this awesome synergy where they brought us in and kind of handed us almost a blank plan and said, what do we do? Right? What if we, we know we want a lot of stuff in here, a lot of food and beverage, a lot of like event space for, you know, music performance and uh, 
music video previews, because I guess that's still a thing, like, and recording studios so people can kind of camp out here. We want, we want a mecca for music, but in this kind of luxury lifestyle space. Um, and so we took a new space, and I think this goes to authenticity or trying to make things feel authentic, and we, we applied this narrative of spaces that were uncovered, like they'd been there a long time. So this notion of excavation, um, spaces that we uncovered and kept raw, which was about preservation. And then the third bucket was kind of these discoverable jewel boxes in the space. Um, and so we took we took people all, all through a Brian Paul lens through like, it wasn't just a place to check in. It was kind of this great hall, a place where you would sort of gather. And it was almost like walk in the door to a party, not just walk in the door to reception. Um, I think the the main public space was, I was described, coffee to cocktail, right? Bar in the round, but lots of different um, seating groups and lots of found furniture. This was the fun thing is we were already talking to people who would provide vintage for the space who so was going to have this great hand. They put on the plan at one point um, the library. And I was like, I was like when people put a library on a plan, I'm like, show me your books. I'm like, we don't have any books. They're like, nobody has any books. We all read on our phone now. So, okay. But I said, well, what, if you want a library, what if, what if we do this as like an archival music library where it's about vintage instruments and different pieces of writing? And this is all your, also your work lounge. This was five years ago. But this and you is your could work find lounge. all of that at the Paris flea market and Brimfield. You could. <laughs> but the thought was you'd sit at this communal table, right? next to your vintage megaphone, whatever it would be, uh, and you'd plug into the table and you'd get archival sound on site that was recorded at the Brian Paul and could only be heard at the Brian Paul. And part of this was, you know, I'm a cusper, meaning like I was born in an analog time and now we live in this digital world and I kind of get both. But for me, you know, we are in the business of building spaces for people to come together in and for people to experience physical sort of environments. And so ideas like that, where it's like you can only get it here, are ways to drive traffic and interest in an authentic way to say there's reason for you to be here and for us to be here together. So um, super fun project, kind of kooky, like really different look for us. It was very sort of uh, rock and roll, gypsy Mm. den kind of thing. Really, really fun. Um, And it's waiting to find a home. So anybody listening, the Brian Paul is waiting, but um, a really good example of narrative of taking a new space and making it feel authentic. Mm. Um, And I think applying all those things we talked about, like found objects and storytelling and all of that into a space. Awesome. And I think that's a really good transition into this refinement, found object kind of catalog of work that you've had in the past now you've started this other endeavor, Archive. Sure. Like, well, why not? Yeah, right? why not? The entrepreneurial <laughs> ADD visual brain. Like, why? Well, I don't know if you have ADD, but I definitely do. But why? Um, why Archive? Um, not to sound sort of um, flippant here, but ultimately it became like a why not, right? Um, I think for years, and this was your opening, I... I have done retail. We do a lot of residential, single family, multifamily. Certainly we do hotels and restaurants and like all this is hospitality forward. But in our residential world, you know, you show a picture to somebody and they're like that without without uh, 
without failure, somebody's going to ask you, where did you get that? Where's that from? I love that thing. Where's it from? And, you know, for me, working with brands for so many years, I feel like I've, I've gratefully worked like a chameleon and sort of um, helped brands find their own DNA. And at a certain point, I was kind of like, I wonder if I have a look. Well, it turns out I do. It just you have to kind of like stop and think about it. And so Archive was born recently as a response to two things. Number one, where did you get where do I get that? And number two, for me to answer for myself, like, what's my personal taste? And what is like the stamp that I'll put my name on? Um, and so Archive is our direct to consumer um, affiliate marketing website so far. And it's Archive by Dan Mazzarini. Archive by DM is the website. Um, and we've kind of created this as a blogazine. What's mm-hmm. that, you ask? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, it's really, I love it. I, lo- I, I can visualize what it is, but why don't you walk everyone well, through it? Well, we kind of thought about it as almost like a monthly magazine, right, where there's a house tour e- each month. But within the pictures, instead of just putting the captions, there's shoppable stories. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that white sofa. It's the roundup of all of our favorite white sofas. And it's not just a clear glass lamp for a beach house. It's like from 90 bucks to 900 bucks, like, you know, a variety of things for every price point. Um, so it's it's been really fun. We've done it for, it launched in January. Um, and it, there's a couple of months on there already. And it's, we do roundups of different kinds of categories. We do trends. So everything from malachite to terracotta. Um, we're doing shopping guides. Paris Lee Market is coming up, how to do it and what to look at. So oh my God. it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I have to get that guide for Alexa. Although she'll want to do a trip out there and I don't know. When, when is the... F- I'm telling you, Dan, I'm happy to chaperone. <sighs> okay. Maybe you two go. I, I think, yeah, I'll send <laughs> both of you. Um, that's amazing. And then, so I've seen the website. Um, on the back end of it, how are you organizing? Are you using like Shopify or something like that? Yeah, um, we have a gratefully we have a developer that we're working with. Um, it's on Shopify currently. It'll it'll switch over um, to a different platform eventually, I think. Um, but that has been the most humbling experience. Yeah. Right? So what's like, the biggest challenge in doing that? Like, oh my god, because it's like every time you drill in, it's like, oh my god, I forgot about that, and then you have to kind of step all the way back, start all over, and get it to workflow yeah. out perfectly. Yeah, I I sometimes joke that designers trying to be business people are like the dangerous kind of business people. Mm. Um, I've decided that designers trying to be IT people are really the dangerous. Okay, uh, uh, it's it's been it's been incredible, and I have to compliment my entire team that's behind me and in front of me on this one. Um, you know, the process is number one, we come up with like the guide, like what do we want to talk about, and then we shop it. We're shopping like 1,500 vendors. It's wild to find our 12 favorite things. Um, and then it all gets uploaded, all this digital stuff. And it's like a whole rigmarole. Yeah. And then you update and then it, it and then you have to do it all over again. And You do it all over again every month. So it's basically, um, you know, why build one company when you can build two, right? And this has been a very humbling experience. But – Ultimately, really fun because now we're I think we're probably about five months of content on here and we're kind of getting our stride. Like um, it turns out I'm the writer. I'm the voice of this thing. So I've written all these articles on it. Some of it is really if you like a pun, look no further. I'm telling you. But (laughs) but it's been really, really fun. It's a crazy process. Um, I have the best team working on this and it really scratches an itch, not just 
um, from like a personal style creative perspective, but also um, this kind of merchant quality that I love. Like, you know, I like to shop. Yeah. I also love to build a shop. And this is a way to do it without holding inventory so far. So. Yeah. And it's it's a way to take that um, superpower of refinement and organization and and just kind of make it more presentable to everyone rather than project by project. So obviously, you're still doing yeah. the project by project stuff, but you get to yeah. be in that zone of genius a little bit more. Or as your uncle said when you were 17, you know, being in that place where it doesn't feel like work, although I, I'm sure it feels like yeah. work right now because you're just starting it. But I, I, when I speak to you and, and see you speak about it, I see the vision and I think it's like it, it's a really cool outlet and I, I wish you a ton of success with it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Um, tell you, tell your friends, as they say. I, tell your friends. I will tell my friends, yeah. and we'll put it. We'll put all that in the show notes. Um, so, aside from going to Paris with my wife to do the uh, the flea markets, um, if people wanted to learn more about you, where do they find you? How do they How do they learn yeah. more about you? I mean, if Dan, if they want to know more after this, God bless, right? Um, no, social is a great way to get in touch. I'm at Dan Mazzarini. Our company is at BHDM Design, at Archive by Dan Mazzarini, and certainly visit archivebydm.com. Great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I have a zero inbox on Instagram. I have a zero inbox nowhere else in my life, but Instagram somehow I do. So okay. go figure. Great. Well, well, we'll put all that in the show notes um, because I'm sure people will want to learn more. Um, Thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. And I know how busy you are with everything, but I'm supremely grateful that we got to do this. Well, I am so, so grateful to be invited, especially amongst you and all your various team guests. It's really an honor. Um, and I feel like someday we'll have to flip this around and I'll get to interview you because everybody wants to know, why the heck did you start this? Because it's so awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, I, and I'll bring my puns when that happens. <laughs> I'll, I'll dust off my dictionary of dad jokes and it will be amazing. Um, all right. And then, so thank you. And I also want to thank all of the listeners. If this has changed your way of thinking about hospitality or designing for hospitality or designing for anything, please pass it along and please follow, like, and subscribe because we're all growing by word of mouth and it is just amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.